Yes. I, I just want to take a moment and talk about the importance of generations running together. As we heard this word from Bishop Bill Hammond, he is a father globally in the prophetic, but as a young up-and-coming prophetic minister, I want to honor the fathers and the mothers here tonight in the region. So I want to honor Patricia King. And also want to honor Pastor, Prophet, Apostle Brent Bortwick as well in this region. So, come on. So, uh, I believe what God's doing in this region, in this hour, will take the generations running together. And I'm excited to see here young and old that I've gathered together from around the region. But it's in that I want to encourage you that it takes the generations running together. Come on. I want to declare to you that the, the olden days of competition, of jealousy, of racing are over. And God will not release His glory unless the generations walk together. Come on. We talk a lot about heaven on earth. And we think about miracles. But I believe the true manifestation of heaven on earth is the family coming together as one. John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that they may be one. That is heaven on earth. And it includes the generations walking together. And that's why I believe it's critical for us to honor the fathers and the mothers that have paid a price. That have sacrificed that have walked in obedience and righteousness in this region, that have paid the way for this new move of God, for the young ones to rise up. And I believe our destiny as the younger generation is fully dependent on the honor that we give to the fathers and the mothers. We need to walk together in this time. We need to walk as one in this time. So let's honor the fathers and the mothers here one more time in this region. Come on. Amen. Amen. We thank you. We honor you. We appreciate you. And we commit to walk together in unity to see this move of God in this region in this hour. We declare it cannot be done any other way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Apostle Brent Sorry. I'm, I'm shuffling a little bit tonight. Um, I just, I thank you and the honor to, to be here. And I just, in my heart, I just feel like everyone needs to just stand up because you're either a son or a daughter. And your destiny, and you probably are a mother or a father, but some of you might not be yet, but your destiny is to be one. And I would prefer, I'm going to do a prophetic act in my heart. No one clap. But I'm going to ask if Patricia, I, and my wife will clap for you. Because your fathers or mothers, your sons or daughters, maybe you're a grandma and a grandpa. Maybe not in the physical, but in the spiritual, that's your destiny. 
And I truly believe if this unity that Sebastian is talking about comes together, even starting in this house right now with everyone here, maybe watching on TV, wherever, that if we do this, you will have wayward sons and daughters running back home. That's what I see. And so I'm going to stand. And if my wife and Patricia want to, we're going to just clap for you, okay? Because we want to honor you here tonight. I say that for a reason. We've all been part of conferences and doing conferences. And it's wonderful to gather the people together. But if we're just going to do conferences, we're probably more comfortable if we just stayed home. And we actually all would have saved a lot of money. But you see, God hasn't called us just to stay home and save money. He's actually called us to be family. And the family does not have borders, international borders. The family does not have city borders. The family does not have a ferry between them that's going to stop us from Vancouver Island to here. A family is a family, no matter where you are on the face of this earth. And sometimes in 2019, there's been some ups and downs, but we finished a decade. And we're into a new decade that is really about the voice and about his word being manifested in a new way, in a new light for every one of us. And if it doesn't center on family, then we've missed the perspective. And I truly believe having sons and daughters, having a Elizabeth Time Fook here as well too, who actually oversees young prophets around the world internationally. She has a heart and a passion. I listen to when she talks and I hear her heart and her passion. When she was here with us last year, we had lunch together today with a few of us and I hear her heart and her passion. And it's a heart of purity and honor for the generational ages to co-labor together. Because we're not a younger generation there and we're an older generation. Actually, I want to question Sebastian a bit on his theology. He said there's young and old. I don't know what his theology of old is. <laughs> but if we can start this conference standing in agreement that the, the generation that is important in the eyes of the Father right now is every person alive on the face of this earth. And that's the generation that is coming together to co-labor together as fathers, sons, grandmas, grandpas, grandbabies, whatever it is. I have three generations of my own family in this house, ministering in this house here tonight. Three generations of my family here tonight, ministering. Actually, they're here every Sunday ministering. But, and I say that because we need, we can cry out and and, and, and travail for our, our wayward sons and daughters. But there are so many people that are hurt by whatever it is with, with religion, with church, whatever it is, they're hurt. And the best thing for hurt is passionate love that is not picking sides, but it's loving. And that's, I believe, what we're here to do. So let's just bow together in prayer and let's believe for the unity that's coming across this great nation called Canada, across the great nation called America, United States of America, that there is a unity that is coming that is actually here. I feel like the Lord is saying it's not coming, it's already begun, it started, it's already happening. 
And I ask, Father, that anyone in this house, if there's been a, a difficult situation, it's past, we can't change it, but we can learn and grow through it. And I ask, Father, tonight that we will, we will come together in unity as Psalms 133 talks about, which Psalms 133 is so beautiful because as the, the oil pours down the beard of Aaron, it demands a blessing. And unity demands a blessing. It's a clear-cut scriptural principle that if we come together in unity, a blessing will, will transfer. It will happen. And so many times what's stopping the blessings of God is disunity. It could be from unforgiveness. It could be from holding a grudge. It could be from whatever it is. But God has not called us to hold a grudge. He has called us to forgive and come together and move forward. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, tonight, I pray at the start of this conference, Father, as Patricia has already prepared in her heart uh, what to share here tonight, I just ask you, Lord God, that there will be a quickening in our own heart first, a quickening in our own spirit first, Father. That we older ones don't think we have something big up or greater than the younger ones, but Father, that we older ones have a passion to empower the sons and the daughters in Jesus' name. That our experiences of many years of ministry, Lord God, will not become prideful, Father, but it will become humbling in our hearts, Lord God, that all we want and desire is to see these young ones rise up and be empowered into the calling that God has called them into, Father. And if we could even just be a voice of some kind of encouragement, of support and helping this happen, Lord God, then it's worth this conference here tonight. And I thank you for it, Father. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Mm. The Jehovah Jireh, the provider. I thank you, Father God. We love you, Father. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you have invaded us tonight. <laughs> Supernatural kingdom, you have invaded this place tonight because of the praises of the people coming together in beautiful harmonies. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. And all the people said, amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. Um, I, I, uh, I said uh, to Kevin... Uh, Kevin and Donna Stardy, just stand up. These are amazing. We love you. Yeah. They're senior, so they're senior associates in this house and uh, just uh, powerful sons and daughters of the house and of Sharon and I. We just love them so much. Um, I, I just, I, I, I wrote down a couple things. Uh, El Shaddai, more than enough. And I thought, Lord, you're the provider and you're more than enough. Like, you're more than enough after you're the provider or you're the provider to get more than enough. It doesn't matter. Either way, he's the provider and he's more than enough. And so if we don't think that there's enough, then we actually have stopped looking at him as a provider. And what we start to do sometimes is we start to think we are the provider. And we start to think we can build the finances or we can build it or we can make the money, but he's the provider. And he's just looking for worthy people that passionately hear his voice, love him, so he can provide more than enough. He can provide more than enough. His enough is more than any provision you and I need. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8, it's, it's, it just love the scriptures about abundance. 
It's about a cheerful giver. And you're going to say, uh-oh, he's getting ready for an offering. Actually, I'm getting ready for an opportunity. It's a big difference. You see, old school, all great, he's getting ready for an offering. Here we go, 45-minute hour offering. Does anyone remember conferences like that? So I asked Kevin tonight in my office, I said, so what should we do? Should we do a conference offering or should we just tell the people? And I, he never answered me. So I'm actually not sure what I'm doing, but I'm doing something. The cheerful giver. But this I say, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. See, this isn't about you have to give. This is about sowing. It's a whole different concept. If, if you feel forced to give, then you're actually not a sower. And I know, oh boy, I know, I get so many people, you know, well, you know, tithing isn't, uh, you know, in the New Testament, what, whatever, tithing means a tenth. If you really want to follow New Testament, just write the check for everything you have. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Did I say that? Just kidding. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This isn't a condemnation. It's actually about a joyful opportunity. It's just a kingdom principle. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 17. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Because the purpose of your heart is more important than what you give. And when you give with the wrong purpose in your heart, then you're truly not sowing the seed you could sow. You can sow the seed, but you won't reap the benefit of it. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. It's all about his love. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. So if you really take that, verse 18 is answering the first two verses. If you feel his grace is not in your life, then you probably aren't giving with a cheerful heart. Let me read that again. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so the sowing of the seed is not grudgingly, it's joyfully. It's hearing his voice, because if we truly hear his voice, I guarantee you the joy, the happiness, and all abundance is joyful for him to give to the ones who serve. And so I want to encourage us tonight. I'm not doing, going for a big, long offering. But we didn't charge for this conference for a reason. We didn't want to. And I know a lot of people do. But our heart and our passion does have a purpose here. And it's that we get to bless the socks off of the people that have come here to speak, not be... Sometimes Canadians aren't known to be the biggest givers. But I want to change. I really believe we need to change it. We really have so much provision and so many blessings around us. And so I want us to be able to give tonight. There's going to be envelopes behind. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, you can give. We actually accept cash still. Credit card, checks, make payable to Windward. And you can push pay. You can text uh, windward to 77977 and you can give that way as well too and I just want us to 
to not be pressured, but yet have a good heart. Because if you have a good heart and it's, it's, it's just a, a penny as a widow gave, her heart was so right when she gave all that she, what she had that she made it into the Bible to become a testimony. That it's not always the amount, it's the heart attitude behind it. So I want to encourage you, let's all give, okay? And I'm going to sing a song while they're... T- no, I'm just kidding, I'm not. No, 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 no. Yeah, right, right, yeah, no. That's not going to happen. So let's go ahead, you can pass out the baskets and... Uh, I get my daughters back up here and Donna again to sing. That was powerful. Awesome. We're just so excited you're here. Who here is from outside the Fraser Valley region? Just put your hand up. Just yell out, whereabouts are you from? North Shore. Awesome. Beautiful North Shore, Vancouver. Nanaimo. Awesome. That's still Canada, isn't it? Okay. What's that? Victoria, beautiful city. Anybody out? Yeah. Salmon Arm, awesome. Welcome, Salmon Arm. You guys were missionites that abandoned us in the valley and moved to Salmon Arm, right? Okay. Ferndale, Bellingham, Washington. Anyone else from Washington? Okay, that wasn't a good sound or show of Washington people. Okay. Anybody here from Washington, America? Woo! Awesome, awesome. Any other state of the United States? Chris, Ohio, but he lives in Canada now, my son-in-law, amen. Hawaii, my daughter's boyfriend. We're going to leave it at that. Patricia from, well, you're, you're, you're from Canada, Mission BC area, but uh, from beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, Maricopa. It's awesome. I was just down three weeks ago with Patricia and Ron in Maricopa, Arizona, and I just, I love Ron. Her husband is amazing. You've been married 47 years. Come on. See, it's, it's these marriages that are an example and they've been an example even to Sharon and I. We're 31 years, but we, this is the example of mamas and papas. It's a beautiful thing. And if you've been divorced but you're remarried, stay with that one. Amen? Amen. So anybody else? Alberta or anything? or South Carolina. Awesome. Woo. Anybody else? Merritt, BC. Awesome. Beautiful merit. Duncan, awesome. You guys have traveled a ways too. Anybody else? Who's from Germany? You're Canadians, but they're German. Okay, perfect, perfect. It's okay. I'm from Scotland too, you know, but like three. I'm from Colombia, South America too, but yeah, cool. That's awesome. That's good. We, we, love, we love our Germans. What's that? Huh? What? Oh, Sweden, that's right, awesome. But she's in Canada, too. We're starting to get into... This is everyone's moment now, amen? So it's good. I love it. It's awesome. Anybody else moment? No, I'm just kidding. Huh? Kenya, amen. Woo! 
He's a Canadian too. He's one of our pastors. Awesome. Amen. Praise God. That's good. Good. Well, it's awesome. Uh, we're just super, super excited and love that you're all here. And we're going to have an amazing weekend together. Absolutely amazing. Um, how do you know it's going to be amazing? Because you choose it to be amazing. And uh, we come with open hearts to receive. Amen. So I don't know who's passing or am I calling? Oh, okay. Um, good. So let's all, let's all stand. We're going to welcome Patricia. And... Uh, <laughs> You guys are crazy awesome. Oh, let's give it up for Jesus right now. Lord, we're crazy in love with you. Wow. Lord, we want to thank you for tonight and for the joy in the house and for the expectation of all that you are going to unfold in this coming year, in this coming decade, in this coming era. Lord God, that you have brought us into this place, into life for such a time as this. And we thank you, Lord, that you're marking each one of us, Lord, to fulfill purpose, your purpose, Lord, and your pleasure. And we just say yes ahead of time. Even without knowing the instructions, we say yes because we trust you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. Amen. Well, just bless someone next to you. And wow, it's been so exciting already. Such a powerful anointing in the house. And you know, such love and worship flowing from your hearts to the Lord. It's beautiful. As um, we were, you know, hearing about the offering and, and um, you know, about the whole aspect of sowing and reaping and, and uh, giving with a cheerful heart. Um, how many of you know of a man named Tony Robbins? He's a motivational speaker, a billionaire. Um, uh, we need to pray for his salvation. Um, uh, because he needs to be fully uh, brought in uh, to a born-again encounter with the Lord. Amen? And uh, when you see people out there, you know, out in the news and that, pray for them, because your prayer could be the very one that brings them in to the kingdom. The most vilest of sinners is only one revelation away from knowing God. That's all it took you to come in, right? That, that moment where the light turned on, that was all it took. After that, you were in, right? And so we want to uh, pray for... Uh, those that we see, even dr driving by, you know, if you're driving by someone and your heart is quickened, pray for them. You might be the only person that's praying them into the kingdom. But anyway, someone was sharing with me the other day about uh, uh, Tony Robbins. Um, when he was 17, I guess his family was pretty hard up, and, and there was um, a, a group that blessed him and his family, and it really touched him. And so from that point on, at age 17, he was so touched by the way that they were blessed, that it got in him that he was going to be a giver and a blesser. And so he started helping uh, people get meals who didn't have meals and food. And he just kept going at it and going at it, but God kept blessing him. How many of you know that God's blessing comes on the just and the unjust, the saved and the unsaved? But when you operate in a principle, a law, because God's laws are for all the people all the time. The law of gravity, it works for believers, right? If you throw a ball up into the air, it'll come down. If you jump off a cliff, guess what? You'll go down. You know, even though you're a believer, you will go down. 
Um, but the same law of gravity, it works for Satanists too, right? So when you operate in the law of God, whether you are a believer or not, it's going to work for you. And that's what he was doing. And he started giving, and then he started reaping. He started giving more and reaping more and giving more and reaping more. He has literally given away hundreds of millions of dollars of food to feed the poor. But as he was giving, he escalated in what he was receiving. Does that sound like Bible? And so we've got, we've got all the word of God, the wisdom of God at our fingertips. And I really believe that we're going to come into an escalation of abundance in this coming uh, uh, decade, in this coming era. And it's going to be based on uh, our sowing. It's going to be based on how much we honor God in our giving. And I think it's going to be amazing. Ron and I, we just stand amazed so often because we think, how do we get here? How do we get in this place of abundance? Because, you know, if you look at the path that you go, you think, you know, we gave up everything here. We gave up everything there. We just emptied out everything over there. We just surrendered it all here. And over and over again, giving everything up, giving everything out to the Lord. And yet you stand in this place of amazing abundance where you wonder, how did this happen? And it's just because God's word works. So I want to encourage you because I have a real passion to see every believer live in the abundance of God. Amen. There should be no believer that um, says, you know, I'm in lack. How many of you believe that? You know, because Jesus came to give us what kind of life? Abundant life. So we need to believe that and act on his word and just enjoy, enjoy his abundance and bless the world that we live in, be benefactors. But I want to share some words for this next decade because we've come into not just a new year, but a new decade and a new era. And you've probably heard many prophets say the same thing. It is being confirmed worldwide, not only in just North America, but prophets all over the world are saying the same thing, that this is not just a new year, it's not just a new decade, but there's a change of era. And you can feel it. How many of you have felt like a shift and you don't even know how to put words to it? You just know that something is very different. And it's almost like you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for something tangible in the Lord to come forth, and it's almost like a woman getting ready to deliver a child, waiting for it, wanting it to come forward. It's the final hour, and uh, the, the, the full birth hasn't come yet, but you know the baby's already in place. And that's what it feels like, doesn't it? How many of you relate to that, that you felt that in your own, own prophetic spirit? And so we are in this hour, and it's really important that we we are discerning the times. It's important that you can discern that difference. Because if you discern the times in the Lord, then you can partner with him in it. You don't want to be doing something totally different from what God is doing. You, you don't want to be on a different pathway than what God is leading in in this hour. I always want to be right where God is moving. I want to be right uh, with him in in any kind of change, in any kind of move, I cried out to God as a new believer even. I said, God, I just want to be where you are. And if you're going to move in a particular way, I want to move there with you. I don't want to catch up 20 years later. I don't want to run ahead of you either. I want to be right where you are. And so it's important that we discern the times. And in Second Chronicles 2020, and I think it's interesting that Second Chronicles 2020 for 2020, it says, put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets 
and succeed. So when you can discern the prophetic word of the Lord for any given season, and you identify with that word, and you take it to yourself, you identify with it, you take it, you receive it as your own, and you start activating that word within your life or walking toward it, it says you will be successful. You will succeed in the Lord. You will be fruitful in your life. And so it's really important, especially in big transitions like this, that we hear what the Lord is saying, that we identify with it, and that we give God our witness, our amen. Because when we say our so be it, that's what put that word into motion in our life. And that's what happened with Mary when Gabriel came to her and prophesied that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. She said, let it be done unto me according to your word, because she trusted the prophetic voice of God through an angel in that particular case. But she, she, she trusted that prophetic word. And as a result of saying, let it be done unto me, it was. Okay? So as you're listening over the weekend, as you're listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to the church, and you bear witness with it, just accept it. As the words are coming forward, just say, I'll take that one. Yes, let it be done unto me according to your word. Take note of those words and meditate on it. Pray, pray over it. We had a prophet in our uh, church uh, just this last week on Sunday night, and um, uh, the word was so weighty, so many things inside of it, I had to listen to it again and again and taking notes so that I could respond to God accordingly because I knew it was um, a lot of uh, uh, specific words from the Lord inside. And every single one of you is going to hear different things. This is a prophetic uh, weekend that you are engaged in, and so God has words for you. Now, most of you already know that in the Hebrew calendar... Um, back at Rosh Hashanah, we entered a new decade as well, and it's a decade of the pay or the mouth. And so the last decade was the decade of the eyes, and that's why you saw all the teachings on the seer gift and everything was, was all over the body at that time. There was just everywhere you turned around, there was uh, teachings, instructions, and conferences. The seers were being highlighted because it was a decade of the seer. God was opening up our eyes to see in the spirit the unseen dimensions of the kingdom of God. He was giving us eyes to perceive things. Well, in 2020, we're going to have increased perception in our seer ability in the spirit, but it's a decade of the mouth. And so it's time for us to open our mouth and speak. And where you might have held back in times past, you won't in these coming days because God needs his word decreed through you. He needs the mouths of his people opened up and that's how he's going to create. So I'm going to break open some words for you that I'm absolutely convinced are prophetic words from the heart of God for this next um, era transition, beginning now. We're already in it. We've already stepped into it. I want you to identify the change because you'll live differently when you understand the will and the ways of God. And so the first word I want to bring tonight, and I'll bring a number of them. I have 20 words, actually, for the, for the new year, and I won't I won't probably get them all done tonight and tomorrow night, but we'll see. We'll just see where, where God takes us. But the first word is that we are standing in an era of reformation. Now, over the last 30 years, maybe even up to 50 years, the buzzword has actually been revival. 
Revival has been on the heart of God. Every time you would turn around, even whatever prayer group that you went to, we were crying out for revival, always crying out for revival, singing songs about revival, proclaiming revival. So revival and renewal were the words and the, the um, essence of what God was giving in this last season. Now, you will never stop enjoying revival. God will always revive you. And we always need personal revival. To revive means to refresh and to make alive again. And so no matter what season we're in, we're always going to lay hold of a revival in the spirit for our own souls, our own lives. That's really important. And you can cry out to God any time for that. And he will respond to it because he wants you to be fresh. He loves it when you're refreshed. It's like giving you a fresh shower. He loves to do that for you. But you're going to hear the word reformation a lot in these coming days because there's a transition. And in conference meetings and that, again, God will move to revive us, but he's got deeper things to take us into in this next era. And he's going to ask for us to take on the mantle um, of the reformer in this next season. And I believe tonight and this weekend, many of you are gonna be marked as reformers, that there's an anointing of the Lord that's coming upon you to mark you as reformers. Now, the word reform actually means to become better or to make something better by making corrections, by removing any faults, and implementing solutions to remake or to reform. Reformation is the act of making an improvement, especially by changing a person's behavior or the structure of something. And a reformer is someone who is committed to change and improving something, such as a law or a social system. So reformers are being marked. Now, I want to say this, even though, again, this is for every age group, but I see very clearly in the spirit, especially millennials are going to be marked with very weighty reformer anointings. And they're going to have a call for justice. And, you know, I was oftentimes, um, as I was praying in this last season, into um, hearing, hearing the Lord for this era, I kept getting Evan Roberts in my vision. And the thing with Evan Roberts is he was a young man. He was just in his teens, actually, uh, when he was really giving birth to the outpouring of God in Wales, the Welsh revival, the famous Welsh revival. But he was so tenacious that, that the world and its life, its you know everything that it offered, didn't grip him. He was just night after night after night compelled to go into prayer. Now, that Welsh revival was a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit. But it didn't just get birth like all of a sudden one day God decided to open up the heavens and pour out a blessing on the nation of Wales. That is not how it happened. It was actually birthed by young men and women probably like Evan Roberts that had this undying passion, this uh, fervor of spirit that just, just wouldn't stop praying until. Well, we're going to have the same thing. We're going to see the same thing with the millennial generation and the reformer anointing. And so even as Evan Roberts birthed revival, there is going to be a company of younger generation uh, people who are so passionate. And I, again, this includes the older generation too, but there's a marking on the younger generation. I see it so strong. 
and the justice mandate of God that this, this, um, this generation is going to see things out of order that need to be put back into order. They need to see things that have been broken down that need to be fixed, and it's going to be supernatural. It's going to be supernaturally done as a result of prayer because a lot of that generation has not even had good even family foundations put in their lives growing up. Many of them didn't have any foundations in family at all. And yet they're going to see the need for what needs to be remade or corrected and the faults um, uh, looked after, they're going to be able to see it, and this whole justice mandate to bring things into divine order is going to be on them. A company of reformers. Now, when you look at uh, the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening, they were very powerful moves of God. They were, um, they were years of reformation, actually, and the first great awakening brought so much realignment in the church. The church had been somewhat complacent, uh, not concerned at all about you know many social issues or anything like that. And there was a lot of waywardness. There was a lot of religiosity, but not a lot of spirit. But then God moved upon the church. And as a result of the move of God upon people's hearts and the weight, I mean, there was some crazy messages back then. I mean, if you think of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon in the First Great Awakening, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, how far would we get with that one today, right? It's like you had to have been there, right? You know, it's like I read the sermon. I even read it out loud, just like Jonathan Edwards did. I read through the whole thing in monotone voice. And I thought, you had to have been here because, you know, I'm not getting a thing out of this, right? But that's the thing about God and his timing, if you speak a word that is not in timing, it's not going to land. But when you speak a word in timing, it's going to land. And that word brought transition to the church. And not only that, because of the conviction of the spirit that came in the first great awakening, there was, there was moral decisions made in government because a lot of the men of God... Um, in that day, were very well educated in political and educational uh, realms, and they were able to confront certain things, and the actual moral foundation of the United States was based on what came through the church in that first great awakening. And it's, and it's, it's getting shaken right now, um, but, but it stood all these years. Now, I believe Canada... Canada is going to have a rising up of young, righteous radicals, reformers, who are going to be bold before God and fearless before God, and they are going to obey the mandate, and they're going to give birth to restructuring of broken foundations. And they're going to have a voice, their mouth is going to be open to speak with bold confidence, but because it's oiled by the Spirit of God, because the, the Spirit of God is on them to deliver in the right timing, it is going to go down in history as that which reforms and reshapes. Canada's mandate is a marking for the last day's outpouring of the Spirit, for the last day's harvest, for the healing of whole nations. And so we need to have this restructuring. We need a moral foundation in the, in, in, in the nation of Canada 
uh, to be reestablished, to be reformed, and to be anchored so that in the Spirit, then people will come. You see, when the Spirit of God moves sovereignly, when it comes to a point where the sovereign touch of God falls, everyone's affected. Everyone's affected. Some people choose it and some people don't, but everyone's affected. And it changes the moral climate of a nation. And of course, we need to uh, see that in this day. And we are going to see in this move of reformation, we are going to see the generations working together. Both the older and the younger are needed, and we need to learn from each other, and together we will bring reform. Now, the beautiful thing about aging is experience with God in life. And there is nothing, uh, that, nothing that can replace experience. You know, you could go um, and train in university f to be a brain surgeon, go to medical school, become a brain surgeon. You've done all the study, you've been in all the textbooks. But what makes you a really good brain surgeon is when you've been a brain surgeon for 30 years and you've been doing brain surgeries every week for 30 years. And there are challenges that you will face in that 30 years that you would never even dream of facing when you were in medical school, right? And so there's nothing like experience. But the thing is, and it's an interesting dynamic, that as we walk through life and through time, it's easy for the older generation to get a little bit set in our ways because we've seen so much and we've got so much to kind of compare to. Well, this happened then and that happened then. Yeah, I've got experience in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like that can trap you. And that's the beauty of the younger generation. They're fresh. They have no grid. They have no grid to fall back on. Everything's new. So they've got their ear before God and they're hearing things and they're seeing things and things that maybe the older generation has never even thought of. The young men will see visions. The old men dream dreams. The reason we dream more is because we need more sleep. <laughs> I'd like to get some of that stuff. But, um, <laughs> but the young men, the younger generation, are going to be impregnated with vision from God and will walk with the older generation and honoring each generation will honor the other, not condescending or dishonoring each other, but walking together to empower each other. And so the wisdom of the, um, of the older generation and the experience of the older generation, the strengthening power that the older generation can give is going to be very valuable, but the young fire and fresh vision and the courage and the determination of the younger generation is, is it, we're gonna have to have it. Because this generation of young people, younger generation, and for me, like I'm almost 70 now, so younger generation would be 55 and under, okay? Maybe 60, 60 and under, <laughs> younger generation. So, um, but this younger generation, I see them as being so radical and so full of fire and unwavering and and totally committed, they are going to be marked in a powerful way, especially, especially the millennials, I see, and they will bring reform, we'll bring it together. And along the same line, there's going to be a warrior spirit. 
a warrior spirit is going to rise up, and there's going to be um, a, a season of getting truly acquainted with the King of Glory. Now, in Psalm 24, it says the King of Glory is strong and mighty, and he's mighty in what? Battle. And he is the captain of the armies of heaven, the King of Glory. And we are going to get acquainted with the King of Glory because we are going to face a battle such as mankind has never faced before because there's going to be a clash between good and evil. The Bible says that in the end, there will be good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Never before have we needed the vision that we need right now. We need 2020 vision that's being offered by the Lord. But we also are going to have to rise and, and, and fight. Now, we've been in a land of peace. <laughs> you know, we've had, you know, revival for 50 years. We've been in renewal for, what, 30 years almost, 25, 30 years. There's been great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, and um, we've been having a great time. But there, there is a battle in the air. Even now, can you feel it? There's unrest, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Would it surprise you to, to turn on the news and find out that a nuclear missile is on its way? It wouldn't surprise you, would it? Because there's a, a, a sense in the air that something's up. So we need to know the king of war. We need to know the God of glory. It's a different season. It's an era transition. In the natural, when there's a time of war, you live your life differently, way differently than in a land of peace. And we need to be alert more than we ever have before. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to get to laugh and, and really enjoy the glory presence of God and, and laugh in his midst and, and be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Of course, we're going to have that. Anytime you're in the presence of the Lord, that is available. But God's saying we're in entering into a time of war, and you need to know the enemy. You know, you need to know the enemy. In wartime, you don't make friends with your enemy. You know, you need to know your enemy, or your enemy will take you out. And so in this time of reformation, warriors are being marked, and those who will know the king of glory and even have encounters with the king of glory, who is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, and in Revelation 19, it talks about the Lord coming out of heaven as a warrior on a white horse, and he's got an army with him, all dressed in white, righteousness. Righteousness and truth. He's marked with righteousness and truth. And we're going to see a battle for the establishment and the reform of righteousness in the land. Because right now, everything is kind of like, there's been so much confusion in the world, there's so much confusion, isn't there, about what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral. You know, we're just redefining everything, and media is trying to define it for us. And so we, as God's people, are the moral voice, the, the, the conscience of the nation. And if we lose our saltiness, we're going to be in trouble. And so we need to be strong, and we need to be watchful on what's happening so that we can open our mouth and proclaim words uh, that will bring reform and get um, uh, embracing actions that will bring reform. Reformers will arise. God will make sure of it. There always is reformers when things need to come into correction. 
If you look at the Protestant Reformation, where would we be today without that? Because the church had gone wayward. The church was full of religious structure and putting heavy weights on the people so that they couldn't even have faith to believe in God. And the doctrines got all twisted and crazy and, and you know, structures that kept people away from relationship with God. And when that, when that was um, discerned, people like Martin Luther had the revelation of what was going on and then were able to bring reform. Powerful reformers raised up in that era who fought for, remember there was a war, he was, you know, he was resisted. There was a, a battle for that freedom and that's what we're gonna fight for, the freedom for the truth of what God is saying to his church and, and we are going to restructure and it is going to be powerful. Now, in a time of reformation, there is always exposure. Because how can you reform something if you don't know what's wrong with it, right? So like if you were building a house and all of a sudden, you know, your walls are starting to crack all over the place and everything, and you've got some issues, and you notice that there's, there's some things being compromised within the house, and you're seeing all the signs of it, but you don't know what it is, you have to bring in an inspector or someone to look and to find out, to bring exposure to what the root problem is. So let's say that it's a cracked foundation. Let's say that there's a crumbling of the cement in the foundation and that there's been a sinking of the ground. You can't just patch that. That's not going to fix the problem. You can't just cover over it and say, well, we know what it is and bless God, let's just continue to move forward. You don't do that. You have to expose what the situation is, find out exactly what is wrong so that you can reform it, so that you can restructure it. And so this is a, a, a season, this is an era where you are going to see a lot of exposure by the Spirit. And there will be not only the things that need to be restructured, exposed, or fixed, or removed. <laughs> There's some things that are just going to have to be removed. Those things are going to be exposed by the Spirit. But on another side, God's also going to expose things in you that you never knew you had, and it could be different anointings and giftings, and he's going to reveal things inside of you that are going to be unlocked in this season that you never even saw before. Even mandates that God has on your life in order to advance the kingdom are going to be given, given sight in this next season so that you will have it exposed by the Spirit who you are after God. And it's going to be beautiful. But on the other side, God's going to be pretty brutal. You know, sometimes we just think that God is like a, I don't know, some kind of a candy man or something that just has no authority, just smiles all the time, you know, throws out candy everywhere. And God is God. God is God. And he is, he is holy and true and righteous in all of his ways. He's righteous in all of his ways. And you might be surprised to find out that the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. We do not have two gods. We only have one God. 
And God graciously, through Jesus Christ, demonstrated the fulfillment of all of his heart, his ways, his truth, his laws. It was all fulfilled in a person who lived in absolute alignment to God. Right? Jesus became flesh. He became human so that he could model this for us. And the New Testament covenant, the covenant, the new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ is amazing. But never forget, it's the same God of the Old Testament. He never changed coming into the new. He just made a way for us to have relationship and inheritance in him. And that needs to be, expe- needs to be respected and never taken advantage of. We should never take it for granted, and we should never take it lightly, what's been given to us in Christ, because all those great and exceeding precious promises were given to us that we might live godly, that we might have everything we need that pertains to life and to what? Godliness. And so to live evil, to live in evil behaviors as a, as, as a born-again Christian is an atrocity. And we should never hear about it. I mean, it should never be. But if we happen to slip, glory to God, we've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But in this next season, God's going to expose things. I've been asking God to expose things in me, saying, God, expose things in me that need to come into alignment. And he is. And that is painful, you know? Then, you know, sometimes we just pray out these religious prayers. Oh, God, if there be any wicked way in me, just reveal it. And then he does, you know. But it's so good. It's so good. Every little attitude, every little motive. And I think, God, I just want to be like you. There's no one like you. There's no one as awesome as you. There's no one as loving. There's no one as great as you. And I want to be just like you. And so work your work in me. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with awesome respect for God. And you can't work out what you don't already have in. So he's already given it to you. You just, by faith, have to receive it and live it. And God's going to expose in us the areas that are not compliant. And it's because he loves us. It's not because he's cruel. It's not because he is upset with us, not at all. He just loves us too much to leave us where we're at. You see, this word is a handbook for life. This is your instruction book for life. It is amazing. And when you follow the instructions in this book, even if you weren't a Christian, if you followed the moral instruction in this book, you would live a good life, even if you weren't a Christian. Do you know that Most false religions have a lot of values that are biblical values, but the only thing is they're striving and striving and striving to fulfill them. They don't realize that this can be fulfilled in us and we can just work it out by faith. But we need to stay on this word and not change it to fit what we would like it to say because if we violate the word of God and what God says for our life, we'll hurt ourselves and we will hurt others. The Bible's clear about that. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption, right? So at some point, it's not going to turn out good if you're sowing to the flesh. You're going to get a harvest, and you always will reap more than what you sow, always. And so I don't know about you, but I think that's the spirit of stupid, as Bill Johnson calls it. Really, 
to sow to the flesh is a stupid thing, but the Bible will bear witness with your spirit what you were made for, what, you, what kind of behaviors you were made for, who you really are. The Bible will reveal that to you. And when you live according to who you are, it's just so beautiful. And in this season of Reformation, there's going to be exposure. Um, in fact, we're seeing it a lot now, even on the 6 o'clock news, just, just um, last week, a few days ago, actually, um, on the 6 o'clock news, there was a pastor um, that had abused over 100 children over a 20-year period. He got caught, and he was being charged. That's how many he was being charged for. There's probably more than that. Things like that are coming up in the news all the time. I don't have local news here, so I'm not sure what's going on in Canada. That was, that was in the USA. But I know it's going on in Canada, too. It's going on all around the world. Because the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. So these things are happening. And God, in his mercy, is going to reveal them. Now, in Ephesians um, 5, verse 11, the, the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle of Grace said, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And so there are the thou shalt nots in the New Testament. This is the apostle of grace giving instruction on that. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, verse 2 and 3, everything hidden and covered up will soon be exposed, for the facade is falling down, and nothing will be kept secret for long. Whatever you have spoken in private will be public knowledge, and what you have whispered secretly behind closed doors will be broadcast. We all know what broadcast is all about in our day, right? Will be broadcast far and wide for all to hear. Now, this is Jesus. So we've got the Apostle Paul, who's the Apostle of Grace, and Jesus himself, who came in grace and truth, saying it's exposure time. And so the Spirit of God, when he determines to expose, no one's going to keep it unexposed. You can try to hide things. You can lie about it. You can, you know, tell a big fib around it, whatever. But God will we'll have it exposed, and that's what's happening. We even see the Catholic Church has been in the news over the last few years because of things that have been hidden over the years. Um, the evangelicals have been exposed. The charismatics are being exposed. This is on 6 o'clock news. The story I told you about the pastor was on Fox News. You know, a pastor. And so these things are coming into the light because the Spirit of God, I've heard people say, why does it need to be, you know, it should be dealt in secret. Listen, the very first phase that the Holy Spirit operates in in the, in the, in the mandate of exposure is he'll come right to you directly. It's called the Spirit of Conviction. And he will convict you. And you will think something or do something that is contrary to what is healthy for you, and he will convict you. And that is your opportunity to repent and to receive cleansing and to align with the right way. But if you don't, if you don't, guess what? He'll, he'll do it again. He'll come to you again. And if you don't, he'll come to you again. 
And if you don't listen to him, guess what? He'll come to you again, and he'll come to you again, and he will come to you again. And sometimes he will come to you again and again and again for a period of years, years, and you're still turning away from him and not listening, but he is patient. He is patient. Now, after whatever the timing is, if you're not listening, then he will reveal it to someone else, sometimes a close friend or sometimes an enemy, and they'll start to see things and come to you and say, hey, are you okay? I noticed um, this. Are you okay? And that's a, your, your opportunity on a whole new level to let God bring what is hurting you into the light. Now, if you don't respond, he will do it again. He will maybe bring the same friend or someone else, but he will continue to bring people to you over and over and over again. Now, by the time it gets to public exposure, by the time it gets to that stage, don't think that that happened overnight. Sometimes there's a year. Sometimes, like, we just dealt with a situation. It was going on for 20 years. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Chance after chance after chance. Invitation after invitation. Lots of counseling and appeals and all kinds of help to bring things into a divine order so that everyone could be safe. But when it's continually rejected, then it goes public. And it says, broadcast far and wide for all to hear. And when that happens, you can't say, oh, it should be done that way. You can't say, oh, it should have been done in secret. No, you just try to tell God that. And he'll tell you what he's been doing in those people's lives for the last 20 years. That pastor that was broadcast last week on Fox 20 years, 20 years it's been going on. Don't think that he just all of a sudden got caught yesterday. God's been working with him over and over and over again on different levels for 20 years. And we could name many different ministers, the same sort of thing. And God, judgment begins first in the house. So he's going to look at us first. I want him to look at me. I want him to deal with I love it. I just love it. There's something about, how many of you love having a really great shower coming out squeaky clean after you've been sweating all day and working hard and the, the dirt's all over your body and your hair's all stinky and everything, and then you finally get to take a shower? Doesn't it feel good? You come out of that shower feeling so good? Well, that's what this is going to be like. But I would just say, you know, it's better to fall on the rock than have the rock fall on you, okay? I'm just saying. Now, the whistleblowers who are the ones who are going to be revealing this, we've got a, a, a case that you've probably been following. It's a Hollywood case where a filmmaker um, has a lot of legal accusations against him in the area of sexual misconduct and rape and that. And it's all over the news, all over the world. This has also been going on for years. In fact, I have a friend who actually worked with him and had it happen to her years ago. And so I know the first-hand account of, of that particular one. But, um, you know, it began with some whistleblowers. A couple of women decided to come forward and say what was going on. And wow, did they ever get 
they, did, they got so hit. And they got threats, and they got all kinds of stuff. It's a very, very wealthy man. He's a billionaire, and he just um, went after them. But they had courage, and they had strength, and they were willing to stand for what was right. They said, enough is enough. This has been going on for years and years and years. Enough is enough. And they were willing to lose their life if that's what it took to get justice done. And this is what we're going to see in these days is a caliber a caliber of, of strength, of, of, of courage in these ones that God is raising up. But if there are whistleblowers, don't condemn them. Most oftentimes, the, the whistleblowers are condemned by the ones that they are whistleblowing on. <laughs> um, they are condemned. They are uh, sometimes beaten. Their lives are threatened. Sometimes all kinds of things happen from the ones that they are bringing into the light. But usually the public will just watch because they don't want to be committed. So they're just quiet and watch the whistleblower get beaten up. And it's time for us to really get on God's side with this and say, let's just pray into this and work to see people set free. Now, there should never be anger or, um, you know, hate or anything, offense involved when you're whistle whistleblowing. You have to make sure that your heart is clean because ultimately, God wants it to be win-win for everyone. Ultimately, God wants everyone set free. He wants the ones who are, you know, perpetrators of that kind of stuff going on. He wants them to be set free. He wants all the victims to be set free and healed and delivered and cared for and given all the treatment that they need and be set free and have restitution. He wants that for them. He wants it for everyone. And there's secondary victims. You know, if you had a prime minister who was corrupt, not saying he is. <laughs> but if you did, God's heart for that dear one would be to set him free but also the immediate victims, but the whole nation is going to be affected by it. So the whole nation needs to be healed. When you've got a ruler that is in misconduct, whatever, it could be lack of integrity or sexual issues or, or uh, lying or whatever, there's going to be secondary victims to it, and everyone needs the touch of God, and that's what God's committed to. And he's looking for a love body. These reformers that God is raising up, they're lovers. They're not only lovers of God and his righteousness and his goodness. They got so much love in their heart that they're going to war without love to see the reform take place. And they will have boldness to expose things that need to be exposed so that healing can come. Not so that, you know, brutal, hellish, you know, discipline takes place. No, it's so that everyone can be free from the deception of the enemy. In Hebrews, it talks about the deceitfulness of sin. People sin because they think it's, it's okay, it's good, it feels good, it's giving me some pleasure. And the devil has them believing, oh, this is a good thing, try it, it's good. You know, it's like a person who takes their first shot of heroin. Wow, is this ever good? I better have another one. But they don't realize the deception of that is that they are destroying their life and other people around them. They don't realize that they're just feeling how great it is at that moment and wanting another one a few hours later. And so we need to have such a clear 
gaze upon how our enemy, the devil, is trying to infect whole nations so that we can be a voice of truth in the midst of it and let that love set everybody free. And what would it be like, just using your prime minister as, a, as an example, what would it be like right now if he was totally set free into Jesus Christ to be the full man that God has called him to be? Can we believe for that? Can we believe that? Do we believe that the spirit of the fear of the Lord can visit him and bring alignment, exposing things in his heart that he wants to get fixed and solutions coming and so that not only he is touched, but the whole nation because the church knows how to love. And no matter how low someone gets, I mean, there are times when you do have to protect the public. If a minister, for example, is out abusing people like that pastor I told you about with 100 cases in the court now, 100, 100 cases in the court. God wants him free, but it's really good that he's in jail right now. Why? Because while he's in jail, he's not touching anyone else. While he's out of ministry, he's not, he's not hurting anyone else. And it is really God's kindness sometimes to put someone in their own little confinement so that they can be dealt with. Hopefully, they'll come free and, and be forgiven and be aligned, be reformed, and be a brand new person doing good instead of evil. And it can happen for anyone. Look at the Apostle Paul before he had his conversion. He was out killing Christians. He was thinking he was doing God a favor, and yet he was, he was in the wrong spirit. He didn't have the right message. He was, he was confused, thinking he was doing right and causing so much damage. But God got a hold of him completely and exposed the error that he was believing exposed the lies of the enemy and poured so much love and grace out on him that he became this amazing apostle that wrote most of, most of the apostolic works in the New Testament. And to this day, he is ministering and ministering and ministering to us. That's what God can do if we will become true reformers. And it is going to take exposing. There's no shortcut. We're going to have to assess these things. Don't think that you can just ignore evil and think everything is going to be hunky-dory. It will not go that way. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so the forgiveness has been granted, but we need to repent. We need to turn away from the ways that we're giving the enemy legal, legal access. That has to happen, and that's what reformers will do. When we sin, I hear many people say, well, it's just me. It's, it's, I'm, you know, if, I, if I'm hurting myself, you know, it's just, you know, I don't care. No, you're hurting way more than yourself. Even if you don't care about yourself, please don't be so narcissistic that you're not thinking about everyone else that you're hurting around you. Now, the devil, he has no legal access unless we sin. And it says in the Bible that through Adam, through one man's sin, sin came into every man. You were born 
into sin because of one man's sin. It affected the atmosphere. It affected the crops. It affected everything. That sin brought corruption into the whole world. And your sin does that too. Your sin doesn't stay with you. Your sin impregnates the atmosphere. Your sin will go down through the generation line and, and hurt babies that aren't even born yet. And so we can't live selfishly here. But your sin also affects the nation. And right now, I mean, Canada has, has been pretty much living a godly moral existence. I think we're known as a nation for being an upright nation. It's a wonderful nation to live in. Worldwide, we have a great reputation. But you know why that is? It's because we were founded on Christian values and biblical, biblical morals. We were founded on that. And so if you look at the scales, you know, where you've got, you know, integrity and good uh, sexual morals and, and family life and we esteem others and we're honest and you know, we value people. All those things have been weighed down nice and heavy in our nation. So there's a tipping point to the good. But what's happening right now? And especially what's happening in the church. Because as the church goes, so goes the nation. And so when the church is weighed down with sin, and we've even got whole denominations, are changing what the Bible says to what they want it to say. Whole churches that are you know, have signs out in front of them that say, we welcome homosexuals, come in, here. You know, we, we marry you, we, we uh, ordain you, whatever. You know, and we've got whole churches. I mean, I just read an article this last week. I was in a conference about a week and a bit ago, actually. And, um, and one of my friends was there, and I hadn't seen him for a long time, so we were talking. And he was telling me about, about a minister who is an on-fire Christian, Christian leader, who all of a sudden thought they had a revelation, and they used scripture to endorse it, that um, sexting is God's plan for today to help us enhance our, um, our sexuality. And they do whole seminars for couples, for even married couples or couples that are living together to enhance their sexual life through all kinds of different sexual exercises. And then at the end of the seminar, they say how good it is to even do the swing thing, like where you exchange and experiment with one another. This is a Christian, and they're using scriptures. Well, I couldn't believe it when he was telling me. I thought, oh, man, that cannot be true. So I looked it up online, and it is. And not only that, I found out online there is a whole website that teaches you how to sex using Bible verses. And they've got all these Bible verses, and they show you, you can go from this level down to this level, to this level, to this level, and at each level, they give you all the Bible verses to use in your sexing. How did we get here? How did we get here? You know how we got here? A little bit at a time. Just a little bit of toleration, a little bit at a time. It's exactly what Jesus said. He said, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And before long, all of our conscience is seared. That's what happened in the days of Elijah. When Ahab and Jezebel had saturated the whole nation with false doctrine concerning sexual deities. 
And so they were worshiping Baal, which was a sexual deity in Asherah, and they were, they were just messing up big time. And they were in bondage because that's what sin will do. And Elijah, who was not only a prophet, but I believe a great reformer, and he rebuilt the, the um, altar of the Lord, called down fire from heaven, and did some drastic things to try to bring alignment back to the nation. That whole nation was affected. But it was one sin at a time that infected the nation. And right now, Canada is in a critical place because you've got this, the scales with good and evil, and they're, they're about ready to tip if there's not an intervention. And if they tip to evil, there's no protection for the nation. Right now, the church is the protection for the nation. The righteous choices of the church, the intervention of the church, is the protection for the nation. But if the church loses its salt, if the church becomes immoral, if the church makes its wrong decisions and they're not addressed, we just want to ignore it, then the nation can be taken. How would you feel if Canada today was invaded by an army from China or something? And all of a sudden, they came in from the north and wiped out the whole nation and conquered it. What would you do then? I, I don't want to scare anyone, sort of. In some ways, we need a wake-up call. We need an awakening to this because things are not as safe as we think they are. When you say, peace, peace, sudden destruction will come. And so we can't go on in the church. We have to take responsibility. We have no authority in the nation. We have probably not much authority even when we pray for our prime minister if there's loads of sin within the church that we haven't even dealt with ourselves. If we can't govern ourselves, how can we influence the government leaders? How are we going to have a voice or any effect on a government leader at all if we can't even govern ourselves? So we're in a serious time. Okay, let's move on to some good news here. Is <laughs> that in Reformation, there has to be exposure. It's very important. But it's so that there can be solution. And that's the good news, okay? So that there can be solution. So if you go to the doctor and you have, you know, achy bones and, you know, you got stuff going on, all kinds of different symptoms in your body, and he examines. He is going to expose the problem. He is going to do tests to expose the problem. So let's say you have a broken leg. The solution will be to mend that leg, right? He will either perform surgery or put a cast on it, but he will fix the broken leg. If you've got a bacterial infection, he will probably give you some antibiotic. There is a solution if you can find the problem. If there's a tumor in your body, he's going to take it out, right? And so if there's exposure, then you can have a solution. Now, wouldn't it be horrible if you went to the doctor and said, oh, doctor, i got all this pain going on. He says, you know, I hate to tell you, but you've got a tumor. And you think, oh, my gosh, I've got a tumor. And then he says, okay, see you next year. You say, what? That's injustice, isn't it? Why? Because it lacks solution. And you are God's solution. And we're going to see supernatural solutions for some really big problems. And there's no problem that it, we are facing right now that cannot be overcome by the power of God. And there's no issue that we are looking at right now that God doesn't have a solution for. 
Now, we were in a situation recently where, um, where we were being used to, to um, uh, bring some exposure to a situation, and it was a painful process, I have to say. Absolutely painful. Nobody would sign up for that one. You know, it's not like you wake up one morning thinking, woohoo, I think I'll be, you know, a great exposure in the body of Christ. You know, I'll be, you know, who would ever do that? None of you would. And I wouldn't either, right? No one would. It's just unheard of, right? But when you're called by God, you have to do what you're going to do. So after the process finished and there was a verdict set in place, I was sad as could be. I was completely sad. I was so heavy. Um, I was heavy, and I was disturbed in my spirit, and I was trying to pray in tongues to, to pray it through. I thought, God, I just feel, okay, so exposure has come. It's just sad. It's sad. He said, it's only sad until I give you the solution. And in a moment of time, in a moment of time, I was in this tiny little office that I have, and all of a sudden this apostolic portal opened up over me, and I had a solution because in this particular problem, there was victim after victim after victim after victim that had never been able to tell their story for years. And they had been told to keep it quiet. They had been not allowed to tell anyone. They were told by the uh, perpetrator to wipe out their computer, their phones and everything so no one would see what was going on. And most of them thought they were the only ones that it happened to, so they just felt alone in the battle. We're talking dozens. And it was just like alone, 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 not knowing that there was anything that they could do, so that they were wounded. They were wounded not only by what happened to them, but they were wounded by the hiddenness of this thing and not being able to tell anyone, not getting the help that they needed, not getting any assistance, not even getting any prayer, because they couldn't tell anyone. And it's hard to pray for yourself when you're the one who's being hit. And so my heart was bleeding for them. I thought, okay, so exposure's come, but there's all, this, all these victims. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, a solution came. And God gave me a simple idea. It just came in a second of time. He says, I'm going to have you start a new department in your ministry. It's going to be called Voice for Victims. It's going to have four mandates. And he gave me the whole blueprint. Do you know that within one week, this is supernatural, within one week, we had the whole department in place, complete with website, Facebook, Instagram, all the teams in place to look after the people. And we've been going nonstop ever since with solution. And so many people have said, I never knew who to tell. I was never able to speak before. But now there's a solution. And then we heard from other Christian leaders saying, you know, one of the problems is there isn't enough good teaching about leadership. So we're going to put leadership courses together to teach about integrity in leadership and to teach biblical standards in leadership. And all of a sudden, solution after solution after solution started coming. And that's, that can happen with anything. Imagine what the nation of Canada will look like when the church has an anointing for solution. Because if we can get hold of this anointing for solution in our own midst, then we can rule a nation too. Because God is the God of solution, and he's saying, I'm making you a solution. And this is going to be so amazing. I'm telling you, in this season, in this era that we're coming into, there are going to be divine solutions 
I know the one that was given to me, it came in seconds of time. In fact, Brent, you came right after, I, I mean, just like hours after I received it. I could hardly wait to tell you and the others that were in the room because it just came so quick with every detail. I had all the details, everything, just like that. Well, what about for national blueprints? What about for national issues? How do, we, how do we deal with maybe foreign tensions and things like that? Can the church have the solution for that too? You bet. We're going to expose what needs to be exposed, and then we're going to have solution. We've got issues today, and I, I know sexual morality is, is, is really big on the heart of God right now because there's so much transgression. And a lot of it is caused by a prophetic voice through media. Media, you can turn on your television prime time at an hour when most kids can watch anything and when you watch those programs that are on TV you will see sex scenes, bedroom scenes you'll see homosexual, uh, homosexuals trans, tra transgender all kinds of affairs extramarital affairs going on that is the norm and through media, through a prophetic false prophetic voice through media we are seeing a normalization of sexual transgression and young children today are growing up just thinking it's normal. Well, that's just normal life. They don't even know that it's going to hurt them. They don't understand that that will damage their lives because it's violating God's, God's best for us. And so we need to have an answer for this. Now, it looks like a massive problem. It looks like a massive issue. The whole homosexual agenda, the transgender agenda. In Canada, we've got some atrocious laws being put into place and restrictions on parents and you know what they're allowed to tell their children and things like that as far as sexual identity. We've got some stuff that is going downhill fast, but does that mean God doesn't have a solution for that? I tell you, in Reformation, we're going to see a rising up of the voice of God to bring forth truth and demolish a lot of these strongholds. We need the prophetic more than we ever have before because the weight in the prophetic word, the authority that gets released in the prophetic word can create, it can destroy, it can bring down, it can build, it can do so many things. We just need to open our mouth with the authoritative word of God and the truth of God and go to war with it and bring the solutions into our nation. And it doesn't matter how big the problem is. God is the solution. We just have to agree with him. But we'll never be able to bring the solutions if we are away from him, if we're just doing our own thing. We need to be in him. He is so powerful. What is going to come in these, in these coming days, what is going to come is so huge. It's so massive. It is so big in God. Imagine, just let your imaginations go big right now. Imagine if the heavy, heavy weight of God, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, his holiness, like what Isaiah saw, came into this room right now or came into your bedroom while you were sleeping. What about this coming into the grocery store as you go out getting your groceries tomorrow and the whole grocery store is affected by it? What about the school that your children are going to? What if the entire school gets filled with the spirit of the fear of the Lord? I think solutions would be instantaneous because everyone would bow and there'd be an open portal for God to speak and new inventions. And I mean, we're going to see so much released in this, 
in this coming decade for solutions. Solutions for, for incurable illnesses are going to come. Solutions will come from the power of God, from his very presence, from his wisdom. We are going to see the most amazing things, and some of those things might come through you. Yes, most historical figures who did great things, when you study their lives, they weren't real, you know, special people. They were like you and I. But God used them. And it's time for us to say, here I am. Now, in Zechariah, it says, in the time of rain, pray for rain. If we know that it's the time for reformation, pray for reformation. Pray for reformation in the time of reformation. When you hear the prophetic trumpet of the Lord saying, I'm looking for reformers, then you start to pray that in and start to prepare yourself to be God's reformer because he's looking for you. Even as he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to, to, to tear down, to pluck up, to destroy, to overthrow, but also to build and to plant, right? Are you willing to do that for God? Are you willing to be bold for him saying, even though I don't even know what I'm doing, I know that you will direct me, Lord, and I just give you my yes. Mary, mother of Jesus, she didn't know how to raise Jesus. It's hard. You know, we're not given lessons on how to raise a child. We just have them. And then God leads. We can glean some insights from other people who have raised child children, but every child is unique, and every child is different, and we're, you know, we don't have any experience in it but God. And what's coming is God is coming on the scene. And tonight, he's marking reformers. Tonight, he's saying, I am in need for Canada to have reformers, strong people in my church who will not waver, who will not compromise, and who are not afraid to open their mouth. And if you will give the Lord your mouth in this season, if you will give him your heart, if you will give yourself to him and say, God, I will, I will fearlessly do what you need me to do in order for my nation to be saved. I will do what you need me to do in order to save a generation. I will do what you need me to do to war in this hour for what is right and for what is true. And I'm prepared to give myself fully to you. Lord God, in this season. It's not business as usual anymore. It's a different era. Can you feel that? You're going to hear weighty words brought to the church. In the last season, we got drunk. We just get drunk in the Holy Spirit, not to say that we won't continue to do that, but I, I believe God was getting us ready. He was getting us ready for what we're going to be engaging in. And it's going to be so powerful that what God is going to do in this next season will be recorded in eternal history for the magnification of Jesus Christ in the midst of a corrupt world. Isaiah said, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the glory, the glory, the glory is going to rise upon you. And nations will come to the brightness of your rising. Kings will come. Kings will come. And they'll bring the wealth of the nations to you. That's what happened with Isaiah. He was in the glory presence of God, and in that glory he was exposed. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And in that glory presence he was purged. And then 
God said, who shall we send? And he, he was ready. He said, here I am, send me. And he was already a seasoned prophet when he had that encounter. But after that, he's a major prophet, a major prophet. He prophesied Jesus Christ. He prophesied the Messiah with accuracy. He prophesied significant words. He's recorded in all of history. You know, I've heard people say the nameless, faceless generation. But never before in the Bible have you ever seen a nameless, faceless generation. I know that what they're saying is we'll, we'll, we'll all be hidden in Jesus, but God needs your name. And he needs your face. He wrote whole books of the Bible after people's names. Joshua, Ruth, Ezra, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter. Whole books of the Bible over and over again. He likes using individuals. And he's looking upon you and say, will you stand for him? Will you be his? You know, those 12 disciples, they weren't, they, they did not fit what was needed for the assignment. They were chosen because they, they didn't fit. And God made them to be reformers. God did the work. He discipled them. And he'll disciple you. He will disciple you. So if you're willing to be a reformer, stand to your feet right now. Just to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And if you want to, make your way up to the front here. Because I believe that tonight, oil is going to be poured out upon reformers. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And it's every generation, every generation... I'm taking a stand for my God in this hour, and I'm signing up. I'm saying, you can use me no matter what the cost. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care about what man thinks. I don't care. I just, I just want you, Lord Jesus, to have what you're looking for in this day. I want you to receive the due reward of your suffering. I don't want you to have to look upon a people that are, are violating your every word. I want to be used of you. A mouth, a mouth that will say, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way. A mouth that will say, let's tear this down and establish this. Let's, let's, let's do it for God. Let's rebuild. Let's tear, tear down, overthrow, destroy, but build and plant. Let's, let's, let's be the solution. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ right now, I pray, Lord God, for everyone standing here tonight, Lord God, because they're standing before you. They're standing before you, Lord God, and they're saying, here I am, Lord. I want to be for you. A reformer. Whoa. 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 Thank you, Lord, for the reformer anointing. Oh, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Whoa.
I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. The Lord's showing me right now that a number of you identify with being a victim in this last in this last season, in this last decade. A victim of other people's agendas and maybe even some spiritual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. You've been victims of other people's agendas. You got wounded in it. And tonight I feel a healing bomb is in this room right now. And what would have taken you maybe hundreds of hours of counseling is going to be dealt with in a moment of time right now because the Lord is accelerating healing. And if that's you, if you identify with that word, put up your hands because tonight you are going to be transferred from victim to victor. From victim to victor. So put up your hands right now, high in the glory. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, these ones that are identifying with that word, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just release your healing touch right now to go right inside, to burn inside their hearts right now, to burn inside their minds, their bodies, their lives, burning up the dross and purifying and cleansing and healing. And I break the power of any victim mentality of any oppression of the enemy, any lies of the devil, I break it off of them now in Jesus' name. Thank you for your healing balm that's coming into their lives right now. Thank you for your healing balm. Thank you for your healing balm. Thank you, Father. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I see a wave of forgiveness. And I see angels of forgiveness are going to help you. There's someone here that you've had such a hard time. It's been impossible for you to forgive. But there's an angel with you right now giving you aid, giving you help. And tonight will be the first night that you'll be able to say, I am able to forgive. Whoa. And God is going to reward you. He is going to restore the years that the locust devoured. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Woo! Now, there's a number of you that have been feeling like inferior, saying, God, I, I just love you so much. I'd love to be used, but I can't even imagine myself doing anything significant because when I look at other leaders or, or voices that you're using, I could never be like them. And God's not calling you to be like them. He's not calling you to be like them. He needs you to be you. He needs you. He needs you. And tonight, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm breaking the power of inferiority off of you. I command that inferiority to lift off of you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There's a number of you who have been like spinning wheels. You've been trying to move forward, but the more you try to move forward, you just feel like you're, you're digging yourself into a bigger rut. But in the spirit, I see the Lord giving you a solution right now. And I just see this big plank being put under the wheel and away you go. You're gaining your traction. 
God is bringing a supernatural solution to you. Supernatural solution. Woo! some of you, the Lord, Lord tonight is going to be breaking intimidation off of you. And there's someone in particular, there's one person in particular that you've almost had like a bully. I don't know if it's like in the workplace or somewhere, but it's like a bully. And um, 
and you felt so intimidated, it shut your mouth. Who is that? Wave, wave, wave at me if you identify with that word, an intimidation. Is that you? Put up your hand, let me see. Is, is that you? Thank you, Lord. Over there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just break the power of the intimidation right now. The bully, the bully. We break the power of that intimidation right now in Jesus' name. You rise up just like David did. Just like David did with Goliath. The whole nation was intimidated by that uncircumcised giant. But when David saw that giant, he saw him in the light of the Lord's power and in the light of the assignment that God sent him to fulfill. So I release right now freedom from intimidation and the power to win, the power to rise up, the power to be strong. And I saw a number of you in this room have a call to nations. And I see you being um, flung out of a out of a slingshot by the hand of the Lord and you're like a ball of fire. It says his ministries are, are flames of fire. And I see you being shot out of a slingshot and you're lighting fires in nations. How many of you feel a call to the nations? Put up your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, that in this next era that you would catapult them into the nations, Lord God, as your firebrands to bring reform, restructure, and freedom to oppress nations and people in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Woo! anointing of the Holy Spirit on you, bringing you into full, full, full passion, full passion, full passion. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I'll just take a moment to just drink in the presence of the Lord. Just be filled with his love. Be filled with his love. Be filled with his kindness. Oh, just, just drink deep. He said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. We just drink of your love, Lord God. We drink of your love. We drink of, of the new wine. We drink of your strength. We drink of your consecration oil. Let it let it fill us inside and be smeared all over us, Lord God. We receive tonight, Lord God. We receive tonight, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus.
He's giving you four heads like flint. <laughs> and there's no turning back. There's no turning back. And I feel the Lord's pleasure over you. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your willingness to give me your all, says the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and the honor of serving you loving you well. giant, but faith saw victory. And I heard it's time for David's. And then he said, Reformation is not fear of a giant, but faith for the victory. I felt in my heart that some of us might have the fear of the giants. Or our fear sometimes creates a giant. But our faith always brings and delivers a victory. And I think some giants are being slayed tonight. <laughs> yeah. You guys are giant killers. Yeah. Yeah. It only takes one stone. doesn't need five stone. It takes one stone. I feel like the Lord is saying whatever of the five-fold gift you carry, just remember, you're a stone to slay the giants.